Hi, my name is Perrin, and this is Social Distancing. Episode 20. Matthew Moore is not a bore. This is my friend Perrin. Perrin was one of my first friends in college. He's one of those people who I keep up with on social media. We like each other's posts, but I genuinely don't think we've talked on the phone since our time in Greenville. Here's two friends catching up. I grew up in central Maryland, just outside of Baltimore. When I was about six, my dad became a pastor. I was homeschooled, grew up in moderately conservative Christianity. And when it was time for me to go to college, I found out that there was a school in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, that had a major in contemporary Christian music. And I was like, sign me up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was what 17-year-old Perrin wanted to do with his life. Music had always been a big part of my life. I was like playing music at church, um, piano, guitar, singing, whatever. So I went out to Greenville, decided to get a double major in math just to be safe. Totally dropped all these things and ended up in psychology. But My first semester at Greenville, I became part of a friend group of people, not even really sure how it happened. We all just kind of started hanging out. Um, And that is where I met Matthew, because you were also in the same friend group of people. Yeah, I I truly have no idea how we all coalesced, but we did. We did. It was lovely. Some of my favorite memories of you in college were, um, one sticks out particularly in my mind of freshman year. You have this incredible ability to listen and uh, a lot of your listening ability inspires me, and I try to be the listener that you have always been to me. And I remember freshman year, we were sitting in the laundry room of West Oak, and for some reason, I was going through like past events of my band's MySpace page and telling <laughs> you all of the stories about all of the concerts that I had played. And I don't know if you were genuinely interested or not, but you showed me like so much love and compassion and thoughtfulness wow. in that time that I was just like, man, those stories probably were not all that exciting if you weren't there. But I would have never known the difference because you were like so in the zone in in those stories and listening so well. And that's the kind of uh, not that people tell me boring stories, but just that like active (laughs) that active listening and that ability to really invest in a story that you weren't necessarily a part of inspires me in the way that I listen now. So thank you for that. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I honestly had no idea. That's wonderful. That's so great. <laughs> and that's one of the that's one of the reasons that I've always loved being your friend because I always knew uh-huh. that you would uh, listen and actually take interest in that. And I think part of that friend group was hard because there were so many vivacious and loud personalities in that group, and I always saw mm-hmm. myself as a loud personality, and I had a hard time standing out in that group. And I think that's part of the reason why I kind of fell away from that group a little bit mm-hmm. because I, I always found myself competing for the attention of the group. And I didn't have to do that with you. That like you were always wow. interested you were always interested in what I had to say. So thank you for being that wow. kind of friend. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with me. I had no idea that that was the impact. Um, it's interesting that you say that because I remember feeling the same way about the friend group. Not that I was 
necessarily like competing for the attention but that like here at home I was a very like loud outgoing I'm the leader type of person and then as you were saying like so was everyone in that friend group not everyone but like most of them so I yeah I ended up I subdued that part of myself not it wasn't I didn't feel like I was sacrificing anything or like changing anything I was just like oh that like I don't need to do that here so I definitely get that like adapting to the group vibe and I wish that (laughs) when so when I'm thinking about you in freshman year, the thing that stands out, I feel bad now because the thing that stands out in my mind is not nearly as meaningful, but it brings me so much joy is when there was a giant box. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we were <laughs> we were all hanging out in Burrett Hall, the girls' dorms during open hours. <laughs> and you got into the box and were running down the hallway in it. <laughs> and someone who was very grumpy had a roommate who had decided to go to sleep at like 8 p.m. And she came out and screamed at all of us for how loud we were being when we were running down the hallway in a humongous box. And then I think Sarah wrote a song about it, right? For your birthday the next year. (laughs) She did. Yeah. Yes. I don't, my, I have like friends here in Maryland that have like never met most of my college friends who know and like and sing that song. It's very catchy. (laughs) It's called, it's called Matthew Moore's Not a Bore. So before we go any further, yes, I am going to play that song for you. Uh, a few things before I do, though. One, this song was recorded in 2009 on an old white plastic MacBook in a laundry room. Apparently, all of the great things in my college career happened in a laundry room. Two, Perrin is selling himself a little short here. Yes, Sarah Beth did write the words to the song, but Perrin wrote the music. And those unique chord changes play a critical role in the catchiness of this song, in my opinion. Three, uh, in college, I had a tendency of having a collection of catchphrases and was known to use them a bit too frequently. The verse will make a little more sense knowing that I used to say, on a scale from one to ten, that was a lot of fun. And other dumb shit like that. Okay, the song. On a friend group songs i do really want to quickly put a plug in for the birthday song yes that that song has stuck with me i have i have like recorded myself singing it and then sent it to my friends here on their birthdays so it's (laughs) it's not something that has stayed it has spread and it's another another thing that you gave us that has brought me joy so thank you
That's fantastic. Did you know that Mike Carilio copyrighted that song for me? What? We were we what took a swell a, guy. I know. I I still haven't seen much money from it, but it's uh, I, <laughs> I maybe they don't have my current address. Wait, so I I owe you money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let it slide. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lawrence. Social distancing is brought to you by soap. Just soap. Any kind. Just use soap. Whether you're making an emergency run to the grocery store or you're hanging out at home, it's important to regularly use soap and hot water for 20 seconds. I use lye soap myself. Strong stuff. It's what killed the cooties on your great-grandmother. Unfortunately, it's probably responsible for her looking like a used baseball mitt. But just use soap. Like this. All right, back to the show. Do you mind to talk a little bit about what it was like being at Greenville? And then I don't know how long it was between leaving Greenville and then you're coming out. But um, do you care to talk about that just a little bit? Sure, absolutely. As alluded to by coming out, I am gay. And as you probably know by now, Greenville is a small private Christian college that was not super gay friendly. Um, Not hostile, but not friendly. So while I was at Greenville, I was definitely like processing things. And I was, I unfortunately, I say unfortunately, because it never ended well dating women, um, which I'm sorry, everyone. And I remember going to see a therapist there for a while Mm. who suggested that I was probably not gay, but I had just gotten too into gay porn. And that was my problem. Oh, interesting. Was this someone through the school? This was someone through the school. Yes. Um, So, no, yeah, not not a good move for a therapist. So I don't really know to what extent like comments like that, you know, delayed my coming out. Um, But I was basically just like really confused. I spent most of my college years knowing that I was physically attracted to men and not really being sure of my feelings for women and just like not knowing what to do with all of that. So after college, then I... Um, like about two years after I graduated, I was like, I really, really need to figure this out because um, I had been dating a very awesome woman who like I, it was everything was great. But I was just like, I, there's something missing here. And so I took some like time off. I basically I took a semester off of grad school. I did tons and tons of research, which I'd already been doing research, but I like dedicated several months to just like learning and studying and reading about different perspectives. And then finally, the thing that like made it all click was there was a guy I'd started talking to through social media who was gay. And I realized that I was like falling in love with him. Like I was having super Mm. strong feelings for him. And that was when I was like, this is the component that I've been missing for forever. I am capable of having feelings for people It's just that I am attracted to men and I have been trying to deny that and suppress that my whole life. So, and I know that that's a pretty similar story to a lot of other LGBT Christian people, but that is kind of in a nutshell what happened. So that was in 2014 when I came out and I have not looked back. And what kind of response did you get from people you knew? You talked a little bit about the the people in your church growing up. What about like 
friends from Greenville or friends in Christian circles that ne- that weren't necessarily like church people? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had like some very distinct groups of friends in my life, some through the church that I had been, that I, my dad was a pastor of in central Maryland that I'd grown up with and then friends from college. And there was definitely a range of responses. Um, I kind of, when I came out in 2014, a lot of people that I had grown up with who are very LGBT affirming now were kind of just on the cusp of like understanding more about that. So there was a whole range of responses. Some people were like, that's awesome. We love you. Everything's great. We're here for whatever you need. Like I had some amazing friends here like that. And then some other people who were like, oh, okay, like this was surprising and we don't really know what we believe about it, but we love and support you. Um, and then other people who were like, have you read these Bible verses? Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I hadn't thought of that. Thank you for, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Wow. But, you know, it, nothing horrible, thankfully. And some of the people who responded with Bible verses have since apologized and everything is really, uh, I'm on good terms with everyone. So, yeah, there was definitely a whole range of things. Like within my church, there was, you know, a whole range of responses for how people were perceiving me and thinking about me after I came out. So at my church, I noticed there were kind of like three distinct groups of people. One group of people was like, we love you. We support you. We're LGBT affirming. Another group of people was like, we love you. We support you, but we don't really know what we believe. But like, we think you should, you know, I was playing music at church. They thought I should still keep playing music. And like, we just kind of work things out. And then another group of people that were like, no, you need to stop doing this. You can't teach Sunday school. Like you, you really cannot be gay and still be involved in this church the way you were. So three distinct categories of people. And since then with that church, I mean, a lot of the more um, conservative and the more progressive people have all ended up leaving. So it's kind of, they're kind of left with the more moderate crowd now anyways. Is your dad still the pastor there? Um, He is. He's actually in the process of transitioning out and um, he's kind of doing a midlife career change at the moment, but he is still the pastor and will be for the next few months. How was he received through all of this? Um, generally pretty well by kind of everyone on every side. He ended up trying to not even trying, but like naturally being more of the like middleman peacemaker type of person. And I think, I think everyone kind of appreciated that a lot of times he was put under a lot of pressure because of that. But I think in general, I don't know. I mean, there obviously some people wish he had been, you know, more quick with a progressive response and other people wish he had been more quick with a, I would say homophobic response. So yeah, he was under a lot of pressure, but generally just trying to like keep the peace. Hmm. Did that affect how how your relationship was, not just as like father son, but as like pastor and congregant? <sighs> That's kind of an, it's an interesting question because um, it is strange having your pastor and father be the same person, and it I kind of felt at times like um i'm trying to think about how to word this he was always the pastor and so even when he was just my dad he was like also still a pastor at the same time Mm. so i remember having to try to like break that down a bit and be like like i need you to just be my dad right now Mm. um so there was a bit of that dynamic to work through but um that wasn't that also didn't really like cause problems and wasn't terribly difficult or anything
it's so frustrating to to think that I don't know. There's this element that like really disappoints me when I think about if I were to take you to the church that I grew up in, you and I just went by ourselves. You know, no one knew anything about you. No one knew who you were until you introduced yourself. That you coming into that church, people would be like, man, like he knows the Bible. He knows the words of these songs. <laughs> he fits the, you know, like he fits in. Mm-hmm. And then they find out this small element about you. Well, not small, but this, this. Uh, yeah, just this, one piece of This one piece of you. And they think, oh, well, guess it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yep. God, God tried. <laughs> It's it's disheartening um, that something like that can be so detrimental <laughs> to to a person's faith. I don't I don't know. I that's that's something I really wrestle with. Like one thing that um, my sister and I talk about a lot is how like how much stress it seems like we've given up now that we don't have to like filter everything through like what will church think about this. Just like being able to like let that go is very, very freeing. Do you see that lens, even if it's not a lens you still put on, do you see it affecting the way that you live your life still? Yeah, it, I mean, it still has it still has impacts. I think one big thing for me is that there's so much that I was taught is bad growing up that I now no longer believe it's bad. And even if I believe it is not bad and can articulate why I believe it's not bad, I've noticed that like, in some cases it still causes me like anxiety if I'm in a situation where, you know, I might be exposed to something that I like was once told is like a very, very bad thing. There's still like that, that hold on me and I have to like work to not be anxious about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's still, it definitely still impacts me even if I'm not like, you know, actively choosing that lens it's there. What gives you hope in the midst of all of this? What what makes you happy? What are the things that you find yourself coming back to that bring you joy through all of this? There's kind of a few levels of that. One area that I am finding joy and encouragement is seeing the progression from like neutrality to anti-racism in my like friends and family. Like when the Ferguson events happened several years ago, I posted All Lives Matter on Facebook because that was my trained response and I did not know any better. Yeah, this would have been 2014. Yes, because right after I came out. And so I obviously have learned a lot since and I'm really grateful for that. And I'm seeing ways in which like my family and friends and like people that I know have been very conservative their whole life are like standing up against what is now like mainstream conservative platforms and standing up against racism and standing up against homophobia and like that on a large scale that's something that i find some encouragement in like it's you know as everyone knows it can be really discouraging and stressful because we obviously have a long ways to go and sometimes it feels like we're just going backwards and sometimes we truly are going backwards like just this week on the anniversary of the Pulse shooting, the Trump administration is like, I'm forgetting the exact language for it, but they're 
oh, like legalizing discrimination against trans people in healthcare during Pride Month, like God, like horrible things. So sometimes we truly are taking steps backward, but there is a lot of progress and growth that I've been seeing in just the last like six months that I don't feel like I was seeing as much of before. So that's encouraging to me. And then also, I just have to like sit and watch funny TV sometimes. What's your go-to? I just restarted Dairy Girls last night. Have oh, you seen that? No, I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. I don't watch a ton of TV just because most of most of the entertainment that I take in is through my ears. Okay. So I, I don't I don't watch a ton of TV, believe it or not. But I'm familiar with that the show. Sense. Okay. Well, if you ever do feel like, oh, I really want to watch something with my eyes and my ears, then (laughs) it's like very quick. It's like two seasons, but each season's like six episodes. So it just flies by nonstop laughs. So when I need a break from, you know, learning and educating and trying to involve myself, then that's what I do. That's fantastic. Shout out to Dairy Girls on Netflix, right? Yeah. Yes. Dairy Girls on Netflix. Way to go, team. (laughs) Perrin, this has been a delight. I'm so grateful that uh, that you yes anded me <laughs> and that you were willing to come on here. Um, and it's been wonderful to catch up with you. I feel the same way. It has been great to catch up. And I'm so honored that you invited me to be on your podcast, Social Distancing, now available on um, <laughs> wherever, wherever you, you get, get podcasts. podcasts. That's fantastic. Yep. <laughs> you already know. That's awesome. Um, yeah, stay in touch. Absolutely. You too. Thanks for listening. We'll have a new episode up on Wednesday.